morning. Court Radio is now in session. Call 215-227-2727. When you've got legal questions, we've got the answers. This is Court Radio. And now here's your host, Dean Weitzman. Good morning and welcome back. I'm Dean Weitzman, your host of Court Radio every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. where we tackle the tough legal issues of the day. Folks, if you've got a legal problem that you've been sitting on since last week, give us a call at 215-227-2727. I will do my best to get it answered. Another event. Another explosion. I have no microphone for Manuel E. Glenn. Oh, Manuel. All right, I understand tactic. I get it. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> revenge, revenge for last Sunday. Point taken. <laughs> How about that, sir? <laughs> revenge is a dish best served. We you want to share with the class? <sighs> so on Sundays, we do our show. I, I, from time to time, forget to have his microphone on because I work the board on Sunday. So. Forgive ah. me. Okay. Yes, sir. Good morning, Dean. Good morning, Manuel. Um, and how was your week this week? Busy. Yes. How about you? The same? Uh, it was, yeah. Cool. I had to take uh, CLE courses uh, this week. You know, even the masters of the profession have to keep up with the new laws. All right. And so uh, I was in class Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Actual physically or uh, Zoom thing? No, Zoom thing. All right, but Zoom, it's still kind of different. We did a lot of breakout rooms, and we worked okay. on projects together. Uh-huh. It, yeah, it was, it was pretty uh, actually pretty good. Yeah? Um, that's uh, one of the uh, pandemic benefits, I guess. You got your chops, your we, learning chops. Yes, yes, I'm ready. I'm ready for uh, uh, we got a couple trials coming up in uh, the spring, and looking forward to those. You look, you look beamed in. Yeah, I am. I am. Um, what else is going on? I want to just say one other thing. You know, folks, we're we're hitting um, the campaign trail for hair relaxer litigation. Um, I have uh, probably now we're getting close to two hundred clients, um, and wow. it's it's really blown up. Um, there's a lot of folks out there who silently suffered um, and did had no reason to make that connection. But we've made the connection with hair relaxer and uh, various gynecological cancers, as well as um, fibroids leading to hysterectomies. Wow. And so um, just, you know, but folks called this week with regard to other legal issues, and they said, well, we weren't sure if you were still doing these other things. Absolutely. uh, You know, we're we're a full-service firm, and we're handling all of the normal uh, legal enterprises for my Philly lawyer, but also this hair relaxer litigation is um, one of the newest mass torts we're involved with. So uh, with that, I'll just say, if you if you know somebody, give us a call um, and we will get to them very quickly now. We're all caught up. That number again is? 215-227-2727. All right, enough of, enough of that stuff. We have a special guest in the studio, Captain John Walker. Good morning and welcome to Court Radio. Good morning, Dean. You might have guessed by the um by his uh 
job title that he is a police captain in the in the Philadelphia Police Department and has been a police officer with the city of Philadelphia for over 32 years. You you started practicing policing close to when I started practicing law. <laughs> wow. We're <laughs> we're a few probably just a few years apart. I thought I was younger than that. <laughs> um, and so how do you become a captain? Um, do you have to like take tests and stuff? Yeah, the, the Philadelphia Police Department has a lot of opportunities, and, and one of them is a supervisory opportunity to rise through the ranks. So you take examinations for the rank of corporal. After making a corporal, you get a year, you can take a test for the rank of sergeant. After that, you take a test for the rank of lieutenant and then the rank of captain. Wow. So you're at, at the top of the heap right now? Uh, yeah. Mid-level management at this point in the department. There's two more ranks you can go up testing-wise, and then obviously the executive roles, which are appointments. Uh-huh. You know, deputy commissioner or commissioner position. Um, wow. All right. So most of the department has to salute you. Most of them. Supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not one of those people in law enforcement. I, I believe, again, it's a noble profession and we're people at the end of the day. And I'm not a real big pusher of that, but we yeah, have what we do. Um, we ha- we've had uh, uh, the police commissioner on. What was his uh, name? G- a gentleman from uh, Washington. Oh, you mean? Um, Captain Ramsey. Ramsey, yeah. Yeah. Commissioner. Uh, Commissioner, Commissioner Ramsey. Sorry, yeah. Commissioner Ramsey. He would come in with, um, like, uh, pajamas with the braids with on. The bra- <laughs> That's my buddy, man. Don't talk about him. He's a good man. He's, he's another senior law enforcement analyst that's, you know, on different I, – I have to t- have conversations all the time. I see him talking on TV now. and Yeah. He's referred to as a senior law enforcement analyst, which none of us feel like we'd ever want to be there. But we're getting there. What was uh, your rank when he was here, when he was a uh, commissioner? I was a lieutenant, lieutenant overseeing Southwest Detective Division here. Okay. By City Avenue. John, what, why did you want to become an, uh, a police officer? So my parents had a store in Southwest Philly for over 38 years, a little luncheonette. And at 19, I was working there because that's what happens when you live in a city in a small area. And uh, I was the victim of a gunpoint robbery uh, with a shotgun to my head and Whoa. placed under the ground. So I had a passion after that and going through the criminal justice system and dealing with it. Uh, an opportunity to join the police department. I did it in 1990. So you, you, you're like, you know firsthand as a victim of crime what it feels like in that instant. No doubt about it. That's one of the passions I've always had. I did nine years uh, as the vice chairperson for South Philly Victim Witness Services, pushing legislators and pushing people for the victims of crime. And people often forget, you know, there are, you know, I did 15, year, 15 years in Southwest Detectives handling close to 3,500 shootings. And then this previous year I did a shooting investigation group handling another 1800 so after handling over 5,000 shootings I mean, my passion has been the victims right because people don't realize yeah the physical part of it is great and people understand that and they see that but the psychological part of crime is so devastating to the individual uh, you know, I'm talking over 35 years ago I was robbed and I still think about it mm. to this day right the impact to society the impact to the economy all those things that impact crime that people don't often think about because we look at the physical nature of it so about the whole idea of crime and what it does and that's why i'm so passionate about trying to reduce it and trying to help people who become victimized to get them into the services they need now let, let me ask you there there's it seems like when i come into town now okay I'm, i don't go to my office every day but i i am back regularly coming into town and so um the 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 overall sense i get the feel is that there's a crime wave going on that the city's unsafe, and um, that at any moment 
you can be the victim today. Like it, it's that rampant. Um, do you get a, is, is that a false sense that I'm getting or is that reality? And as you talked earlier about our age and our age group and, you know, Manuel many years ago and I was there during the build up of the city under Ed Rendell and I ran South Street for five years during that glorious days and watched this city go from what you described going on now to what it became under Rendell, 300,000 people, keep them in the city, build center city, energy, creativeness and you know, that feeling you're feeling now, a lot of people are feeling that. And it breaks my heart being someone who's been here on the ground watching this city become one of the greatest cities in America with energy and people out there and bars and restaurants and business people and everybody wanted to be here to now, you know, being in the new building at Broad and Hill where I've been for the last two years, driving around the city during the day, you get that feeling. You don't see anybody anymore. And, and it is concerning because when you don't see people, you just don't feel comfortable. And I think... It's perception, but perception becomes reality because there's, there's not a lot of downtown crime during the day, but you see the businesses are closed. You see the restaurants that used to have lunch hours don't do lunch hours anymore. There's no people walking around. And at nighttime, it's even really more horrifying as you see Friday nights and Saturday nights that used to be crowded in Center City and, and people who live in the perimeters of Philadelphia used to come in to go to a nice restaurant, Capitol Grill, or all those restaurants in downtown. And, and those restaurants you can walk in now and get reservations within five minutes, which was unheard of. So it's concerning, and it's concerning as we have a mayor election here for the next mayor is going to have a challenge in bringing that energy back. Uh, again, I was there from the ground up running South Street and watching how the Rendell administration brought the city back. And again, COVID. So what I hear, there's some optimism there. I mean, a new administration... We're expecting great things from a new administration. You, all these Democrats who are, you know, ponying up to run for mayor, you know, the expectations could not be higher as to what we expect the next group to do. The 100th mayor. That doesn't get played up enough. The 100th mayor, the birthplace of democracy in America. I, I remember clearly what Captain Walker was talking about. I was part of the Rendell administration. Think about this, Philadelphia. We were known as the best events city in America. The Pope's been here twice. We had the NFL. What was that NFC thing we had here? Um, the draft. The, 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 the drafts. We were known for Unity Day, for uh, the, the, the Parkway, the different events on the Parkway. Our, our, our events manager, um, uh, Giselle Jones, five years in a row has won number one events planner in the world. Wow. People don't know that yeah, because I, of I Philadelphia. Know. This is who we are, who we were. <clears throat> Center City was always rocking. The Parkway always rocking. Live Aid, Live 8, all that stuff here for a reason. We were the world's champion city at this stuff. Then COVID hits, and among other things he's describing. And he's like him, we're all around the same age. I saw it all. I experienced it. So what you're both saying is that this is cyclical. That that there are times when um, the city's reputation and crime escalate and then somebody comes along and they make some changes and it subsides. So we can move into a healthier space in the city in the coming year with the right leadership and, and vision and someone that can just get everybody to, to buy into it and get us all for I think we need, the city needs a reboot. The whole thing does, I just think. And the right person hopefully hears us 
and we'll consider that. That's where we are now. Well, from a policing standpoint, we brought you here because, you know, you're supposed to be the expert. So enough of the fluff. Sorry. From a policing standpoint, how do we start to turn the tide? Again, policing is part of it. It's about working together with communities. And the police department, uh, again, world-class police department, we're in, we're in the process of recruiting. We are losing a lot of people based on the environment, but we are, are hiring at this point. So we're, we, we've got to fill about 2,000 positions over the next five years, and, and, and the department is looking for quali- qualified candidate, candidates, and, and that qualified candidates, anybody over the age of 20, and we want to bring people into the service from all the 60 ethnic groups in this city so we can have more voice. So as far as policing goes, we, we, we have to understand that we're just a small part of the problem. By working with these communities, and I've had success in my last assignment of 15th District, by working closely with the community, I'm a, I've always been a believer of, of people on foot and people on bicycles and more community police and more visibility. Running South Street for years, our big thing down there was visibility, a cop in every intersection, a cop in every block, because you had a lot at stake in the city and, we all know that Mayor Rendell, Herb Viederman, and David Cohen and that team pushed hard to make sure that happened. So when you came there, you felt safe. Uh, we got to get the feeling of safety back. And Kevin Bethel is one of my uh, mentors and former deputy commissioner in this department. And he's with the school district now. And, you know, we talk a lot. And, and one of the things he said being in the school district, uh, leaving policing after 30 years is the fear of crime, just as you spoke about earlier. And he said, John, I never thought we'd talk about actual crime and policing and and we do those things that reduce that but the fear of crime listening every day as the head of school security now to teachers and kids afraid to come to school is one of the hardest things he's ever dealt with and and we have to reduce that fear i think by being more positive and being more visible out there in the communities i think right now our strategy or marketing strategy our visibility isn't good enough right now um the, the the opportunity we have as a law enforcement agency with a new mayor is to get a new vision, new direction, new support. And I think we could do it. I think we just need to get right staffed and uh, right deployed and, and work with the new mayor to make sure we're constitutionally policing, number one. We're not going to over-police at any time. Getting at the right people that we need. And I was just notified you know, of a case that we brought to fruition, which was involving Sergeant um, O'Connor, where we optimized that case, and those kids are now facing the death penalty. It was about working, I think, together, focused on the individuals. There's, there's not people think there's a lot of crime. It's not. It's, 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 there's crime being committed by people who just need to be taken off the street. Mental health. I mean, uh, it seems to me. I don't want to beat my drum again, but you know, I don't. I don't know what else to do. Mm. Mental health is such a big problem in the city. You know, if you if you've got a family coming in with kids. And they see somebody who's, you know, either urinating on a street corner in broad daylight or or they're, you know, they're laying there with, you know, no clothes on and atmosphere, character. Yeah. I mean, this is not what you want. You know, if you're on your way to a party, that's not what you want to see. Yeah. Vagrancy. And I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, my father, I live live with mental illness. Pretty much my whole adult life with my father, and, and I understand the system pretty well. And, and you're right, mental health is an issue. And when you talk about these narratives that are going back and forth, and, and again, your positions and your interests, I get all that. But bringing everybody together and having the DA and the police department and the courts all in the same room, understanding the issues so that we can, again, right size the consequences. 
We don't want to sit here and say we're going to put everybody in jail forever because some people need help. But we get into this conversation about progressive and non-progressive and this, that, the other. But the reality is, and again, I think everybody has a space in this room. And my position with the way we do conversation about these issues is very simple, is I get it that people deserve a second chance. I'm all about that. I've done a lot of work with returning citizens and people coming back into society. But what we got to figure out, I think a lot of people got to figure out in these different areas of the country, yeah, nobody wants to see anybody go to jail, but that's part of our American system. But if you're going to put people back on the street, just as you talk about the mental illness portion of it, let's do a, a mental health evaluation on these people before we give them their bail, before we put them back on the street. And most importantly, I think one of the biggest issues we're having is understanding where that person is going to go, right? So we, we release people from prison with the clothes they have on the back. We give them a transpass to get on a septa bus to go back to a neighborhood where they're not going to be accepted. They may not have a home to go to. They don't have food, the basic Mas- Maslow hierarchy of needs. And what do we expect them to do? We expect them to be able to live their life. No, they're going to commit more crime. And then we go, oh, my God, it's crime, it's Kreiser, it's this one, it's that one. How about if we figure that out? And the same thing with the juvenile crime. We have these juveniles who are going back to homes where there's no family support. And you put them back with a family, and we've had cases last year you know, around Temple University where 14, 15-year-old kids are now locked up for three murders and eight shootings. And you talk to these kids and you talk to the parents. They're living on the streets. They're living in speakeasies. They're living in abandoned houses. They're doing carjackings to sleep in a car. So we have to understand as a society, there is a balance that we have here, and there is a very simple balance. But if everybody's not at the table and everybody's pointing fingers at each other, blaming each other, that's not the answer. We have to look at it from a perspective of, yeah, people have a right to go home to their family. I, I, I agree with that 100%. But if they're going back to a family that doesn't want them, there's no mother, there's no father, there's no grandmother, and they get back into a society where they have no supports, what do you think they're going to do? And that's where it takes the combined efforts of all of the stakeholders and enough money because you got to have boots on the ground, you say. So not only police boots on the ground, but you need mental health worker boots Mm. on the ground. You need, you know, uh, um, folks who are going to counsel. You need folks who are going to um, check on the family and make sure that they have, you know, enough food to eat and, you know, a roof over their head. Support systems. Yeah. <clears throat> and and that's where you lose people. <laughs> right now, you know, they're, they're they're screaming in in you know, listening to us saying, "No, you know, we're not spending any more money on that. We're not going to do well, there's again, there's consequences. You can put them in jail, but then you're going to pay for uh, you know, uh, the best medical care uh, at room and board, room meal. and board. You know, it's like, you know, that's a that's got a cost. It's 30 grand a year or whatever it costs to lock somebody up. So um, you're paying one way or the other. Let's pay on the front end. Let's get more mental health workers in the field so that the police aren't asked to do a job that they're not trained to do. With, how much training does officers actually get when it comes down to mental health? I don't know. Let's ask our Because expert. I was going to say, <laughs> piggybacking on that, I think on the on that side, Captain Walker, I think a lot of the problems with police officers and policing is temperament of the officer. That leads to a lot of these bad shootings, unjust killings. So, yeah, how much of that training is going into policing? And so, police so, so I couldn't agree more. And, again, we're doing a lot around that space now. And, again, I live with a father who went through that and knew how difficult it was living through that as a kid. So I'm more patient with it because I live with it. So it's it's hard to – so we, we, we started doing training. We now have you know, 
co-responder programs now finally in the police department where we have mental health people with our officers going out there and responding to these calls. Um, and, and again, sometimes training is the issue, and, and reality-based training is something that's new, and I think we have an opportunity with virtual reality-based training now that I think we can train our officers better. We, we definitely have to do better. We have to do better at responding to these types of calls. And You know what the word is, what? Manuel? Empathy. Mm. Empathy. Mm. Yeah. You know, he has empathy because his dad had a mental health problem. Mm -hmm. So if you just look at the police force, there are, there are individuals who come to the job from their lives, from their moms, from their fathers, from their brothers and sisters. They bring their experiences to the table, each wow. and every one. Good or bad. Yeah, and so he happens to... He, Mr. Walker, Captain <laughs> Walker, he has empathy and yeah. he can relate. So now you have to teach that. You have to teach empathy, and and it will require reality-based training um, where you put people under pressure and see them respond appropriately. Um, it, so, Dean, if I could say, so, so again, giving Commissioner Outlaw a lot of credit, one of the mandates she had when she came here was officer wellness and training, and I think that's part of what, Manuel, what you're saying is, is that our officers, in, in addition to teaching more in this field, it's also understanding that policing unlike fire service. So everything we do every day is kind of negative. So you're calling police when you're in the worst condition of your life. So it's that mental wear down that happens every day that you don't realize you're into. So Commissioner Outlaw had just started the program. She's working on an early intervention system. We just rolled it out to try to have more time with our officers to give them more space to be able to have more conversation to try to reduce some of what we think could be PTSD because everything you're doing every day you think about an officer's tour and they could be in the middle of a shooting scene where they're picking up a person who shot unconscious thrown in the back of a car driving them to the hospital and you go to a hospital here comes another shooting victim then you're going out there and you're dealing with a whole multitude of mental health person you don't really know what to do with it because you just have to dealt with the situation but two minutes later you're going out there trying to resolve a domestic situation. Right. You got, so it, it's it's a hard space policing. It's not easy. Oh, no mm. doubt. So the you empathy uh, is, <laughs> is the biggest part of it. And having more empathetic cops, we'd love that. And you know, that's the great thing I loved about South Street being down there, teaching cops in a very small environment, very contained environment, but a very active environment, how to be empathetic to their people. And, and even though we reduced crime 71% in my tenure there in five years, I was most proud of the fact that we averaged less than one half of one percent of complaints against officers, even though we impounded people's cars, we hit people with citations for loud music, we locked people up for disorderly conduct, we did nuisance courts with the great Judge McCaffrey for years, we started Eagles courts at one point, community courts. But you see how all that working together with officers who are empathetic and working with the people, even though you're making arrests, can work in environments, but it takes strong leadership to do that. And it takes money, it takes opportunities, it, p it takes people to take an introspective look at yourself and say, are we really recruiting the right people, right? We, we always recruited these people who are, you know, these physical specimens. And, and that's why, you know, right. I say now today my recruiting role that I'm in is, you know, we want people from all walks of life because we have to bring more voices to the table so that we can all understand each other. And what my mother once told me is, is son, is one thing you got to remember in life, the great thing about all of us is that we're different. But... It's see, important. see, that's 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 the kind of growing up lesson that creates an uh, empathetic child. We're, you know, we we're all different. Mm. That doesn't make us worse. We're just different. There's nothing wrong with being different. Yeah, she said. The great thing about that is, if we listen to each other, we can all learn from each other, and and it makes us a great society. And I think that's what we're looking for in our recruiting drives now is bringing people in who are 
were perceived to be non-traditional. Yes. And policing people, people non, from all non, walks of life. Non-Adonises. <laughs> people more like Captain Walker. <laughs> Empathetic. <laughs> Understanding. And again, I always, I've always said that from day one joining this job, and you, you all heard my reason why I joined, but I, I just never understood why we recruited people. You, you get what you recruit, right? So we, you would see these videos or see these recruiting things with SWAT teams and locking people up and all this other stuff. And you never really saw anything. And one of my roles I'm trying to get in as we're trying to brand the rebrand the department is doing more things to show people that that's so, it's about yeah, service. I never thought about that. It's so important. I mean, sure. if you're looking at a SWAT team, take mm. down a, a, a bad guy and that's what, you know, gets your juices going. That's who you're going to recruit. That's your I, recruiting tool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you you know you want to you want to get out into a situation as quickly as possible where you get to pull out the uh, M16 you know and um and so <laughs> that that becomes who you are and now if you have that same recruiting film mm. where somebody a, a cop's coming up putting his arm around a, a crazy lady and gently talking to her and asking her if she's had something to eat today and can he help her? Who was that TV cop? Okay, right? But if, <laughs> if that's the recruiting film, then you get softies coming in, you know, I mean, who are empathetic. I, I, I don't want to make them sound like, you know, they're, they're not going to protect us. But, you know, if they have to, they have a gun. They can protect. So, but, but they also know that their role is, is you know, to help, to serve See, now you sound you're talking about Law & Order SVU. That's who you're saying. <laughs> That's the crew. Those type. No, but I hear you loud and clear. And, I, and I'll say, I want to ask you, so I don't know if I should ask this on, on or off. I want to, excluding Commissioner Outlaw, you survived a lot of commissioners. I've been who, around for a long time. Been around who, who, uh, who, who, who got it? So I can tell you, I, I, I was a young lieutenant on South Street under Commissioner Timoney, and God rest his soul, and, and I was fortunate, uh, John Timoney, decided to bring a lot of younger generation people in and, and develop them. And I was only the second lieutenant to attend the FBI National Academy under him. And uh, Timothy understood it, right? But it, we, we uh, Timothy was a little brash at times, mm. uh, but a great leader. And, mm. and we followed him and, you know, we had the RNC here with the controversies. And, and this guy, Charles Ramsey, came here and Sylvester Johnson in between. And Sylvester Johnson was a great man, doing well. and First Muslim things. police chief. First Muslim, yeah. Commissioner, yeah. And, and you know. Mr. Johnson was the first one who kind of started saying, you know, it's the only profession where you can take a life and give a life, but we want you to love the community you serve. And then came in Charles Ramsey after him. And Ramsey, the innovator of 21st century policing, uh, a guy who's just, I mean, the guy's just phenomenal. When, he, when he's in your presence, the guy just has it. He has the it factor. And okay. he made you feel so comfortable in the policing space because of his leadership style and his ability to look at things forward is what I try to do. I will always try to be ahead of the curve when you deal with this type of uh, environment by being a community uh, stakeholder and being involved with the community. So Commissioner Ramsey uh, was one of the best at it, and he kind of understood this city, understood it well, uh, came in a, a very difficult time. We had multiple officers that were killed in his first few weeks here. But he was able to bring us all together, and, and you saw the numbers. I mean, he had the numbers under 250 for murders, and part of it was the work we did out here in Southwest Division and giving me the opportunity to grow by bringing in our partners, our federal partners called Project Safe Neighborhoods, and we reduced the non-fatal shooting victims in Ramsey's tenure here under my, under my responsibility for investigations by 62%. That's a good number. Wow. Fatal shootings. We're going to get to that, um, but i got to take a caller. Let's take uh, Kevin on line three, Eric. Oh, Kevin. Yes. Welcome. Hello, Kevin. Hi. Hello. Hey. Hello. How are you, Kev? Yes. Can you, 
I, I'm great, man. I'm just calling just to give an accolade for your guy, Saul Langston. I've used Saul for my will. I've opened up an estate for my great niece, uh, for a catastrophic accident for my nephew, and Saul handled it, had everything wrapped up, and got the maximum amount that he could get within one year. There you go. So my Saul is Saul's the best. All right, Kevin. Amen. If you have if you have a wheel problem, call Shaw. Yeah. Better. Yeah. Better call Better Saul. Call Saul. Better. All right, Kevin. Thanks so much for calling in today. Um, you know, Saul is our you know geriatric lawyer. I mean, he handles all the geriatric issues. Very colorful shirts. It's about that talent. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. colorful shirts. He's the Craig Sager of, uh, of the legal profession. <laughs> all right. Well, we're here with um, John Walker, uh, captain in the Philadelphia Police Department, whose job right now is to recruit new folks to keep us safe. Um, we're, we got callers on the line. Uh, if you got a question or a, a comment, 215-227-2727. Give us a call. We'll get you on the air right after this break. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. When we say winning matters most, we mean it. My Philly Lawyer just helped secure an $80 million victory for a client suffering from a defective medical product. Whether it's a motor vehicle, workplace, or medical malpractice injury, My Philly Lawyer gets results. If you've been injured and want aggressive, thoughtful, thorough representation, call My Philly Lawyer first. Philly's legal champions, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I grew up here, went to school here, raised my kids here. I know Philly, and Philly knows me. I started My Philly Lawyer because if you've been injured, your lawyer matters, and choosing someone local matters. It matters to the insurance company, it matters to the jury, and most importantly, your lawyer matters when it comes to getting results. If you've been injured, call us now, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. Legal answers. Here's more court radio with your host, Dean Weitzman. Yeah, I'm Dean Weitzman, your host here at Court Radio every Saturday morning, 9 to 10 a.m. If you like to participate in court radio, it's simple. Just give us a call at 215-227-2727.
the number for all things legal in Philly. Uh, we are joined in the studio with Captain John Walker. Um, man, whew, that name, I just, you had to get <laughs> busted on that name. John Walker. Yeah, Johnny Walker. Man. Scotch. It's a good name. Yeah. I don't drink, so that's the greatest thing about it. <laughs> I don't drink no more. <laughs> um, These kids. Yes. Um, in the break, we were talking about it. Tactics said it too. Social media beef amongst teenagers who, for some reason, all dress like ninjas in some kung fu movie with masks and hoodies and all black traveling in groups. It's one of the most obvious things in the world. How do we handle this? How is it being addressed? Is there a social media police department? I mean, they're monitoring. Yeah. So, again, back in my assignment here in Southwest Section, uh, about 14, 2015, we started seeing the transition from drug related shootings to the social media beast. And, and we started monitoring that right away and looking at it. And over the years, it's become very concerning to us because these kids. Again, we've all been there, right? We've been out there playing basketball. We get in a fist fight. It's over. You walk away. You have time to walk home, and you forget about it. The problem with social media, it's so fast-moving. I mean, social media, and, and, and again, technology is great. It's awesome. But it's kind of ruined a lot of things for people, right, because we don't know how to resolve conflict anymore, and we can't take that step back and say to ourselves, you know, this this ain't going to end right if we if I do that. And there's nobody there, so, you, you know, you're sitting there and um, – you get in an argument with somebody, you get in a fist fight, and then you start punking each other on social media. And, and again, everybody has pride. And what happens with this younger generation is there's, again, we talked about it earlier, there's no support systems. They go home, there's nobody there. They start communicating with their friends. Oh, they, this guy said that. They have the access to the guns. They go get a gun. They don't know what the result is of firing that gun. They fire that gun at this person. And you, you said these ninja outfits they wear and, you know, that's not an exaggeration, right? We've all seen yep. this. And, this and is real, right? 100%. When you see the shootings, and when we talk, and again, last year we've handled, I handled over 1,800 shootings just in the one year in, in my career, in my 15 years out here in Southwest, 3,500. So think about that, 5,200 shootings in you know 16 years of investigations in the city of Philadelphia. It's just unheard of, right? And you see these kids in, in, in these outfits. When you have a shooting, you get a video because everything's on video now. And, and just we call it the shooting gear because... They're dressed exactly like that. And you know when them kids are walking down the street and, and, they, and they have the, the uh, usually the Under Armour jacket zipped up high. They get the face mask on. They get the black pants tight and the sneakers. And you, you know that that person is going to be your shooter. It's, it's insane. Uh, but, again, I say to myself, where's the parents? And the parents know what their kids are doing. And I think you know, it was sad that you know, one of the cases I did last year and a mother came in. Her kid was charged with an attempted murder, 14 years old. And she said, you know, I moved to the county because I'm scared of my own kid, and he doesn't know where I live. But now he's charged with murder and attempted murder, and the parents are struggling right now. But the city has put a lot of money into these resources. And when I was doing investigations out here, we didn't have it. The city has over $200 million for these services, and we partnered with the United Way. And you can call the United Way as part of our hotline and talk to people to get you services right away. So if you're struggling with a kid um, who you can't control, Take advantage of those services because they're out there and there's a lot of money in the space and um, there's opinions on whether or not it's working, not working, or whether or not it's being evaluated well. Uh, but we used that in the shooting team last year working with the United Way and trying to help victims get on their feet, right? Because it's just a matter of propping people up. But it's the supports. It's mentorship. 
it's getting back into sports programs. Like I said, I grew up in Southwest Philly and been to this playground, and I can remember every day being out there playing basketball and football, and, you know, we created games back then, right? You had yeah. box ball. And, I, I, I was at Maxie's, Max Myers, but, um, yeah. It was, so these kids today, they, they, they don't. Dean, did you play half ball? Of course. <laughs> they don't spend enough time, I think. Line, wait, we got to take a caller. We're going to get back to you. Line five, Christine. Oh, Christine, welcome to Court Radio. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good, thanks. Good Thank you for morning. being so patient. Oh, no problem. Uh, can I ask Captain Walker, what area of southwest Philly were you from? I grew up at 65th and Theodore, which is right off, right between Buist and Elmwood, right near Bartram High School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Bartram, Braves graduate. Um, I grew up in Southwest as well. But I wanted to say something about um, something I heard you say earlier, Captain Walker, about people being um, released from prisons. In the health care system, there's a thing called discharge planning. You can't discharge a person from a nursing home or a hospital unless it's considered safe for them to return to their home, which means if you're rehabbing and you don't have anybody home to help you get around and you have a lot of stairs, you know, those are a problem. If your electric or your gas is off, it's not safe to return you back to your home. I think the city, I think the justice system, period, in the country should establish that. I never heard someone say that before, that people get released from prison and they don't have places to go. It should be a safe discharge from prison. You can't get released if you don't have a safe place to return to with running water, electricity, food, a support system in place, people who are going to help you move on in life. Yeah. The prison system needs discharge planning. And and the problem, and you, you, you kind of you hit the nail on the head, Christine. The problem just grows exponentially. It's not a simple, you know, uh, 30-second blurb on CNN that's going to solve this problem. It's a, it's a lot of different stakeholders coming together from the beginning to, uh, to prevent crime, to um, re-integrate re into society once you've committed a crime and done your time. So I, it, there's a lot involved here. Uh, it can get to be overwhelming. So let's let's cycle back. Let's cycle back, John, to what you can do to change the way the the system is working, and that is get more police officers in uniform. Um, and so I see you have a like a little brochure in front of you. Um, and uh, what is that all about? So, again, thank Christine for that call because one of the things, again, Dean gave me the opportunity here, Manuel, um, that's why we have these types of uh, conversations is we need people to give us ideas on what we can do, and that, that's an excellent idea on something that we can employ in this process. But um, So we appreciate that call. We appreciate that. But as far as recruiting, uh, what we want to talk about in the police department is, is, again, great opportunities in the police department to, to do the noble profession, to help people, and we know – you know, that's what a lot of people want today. They want to feel, have a feeling that they can help people. And, and this, this career has given me that opportunity. And every day, there's not one day that I felt I didn't want to wake up and go to work. So for th now 34 years, uh, perfect attendance. I've never taken a sick day. There's never a day I wake what? up where I don't want to go to work. What? And Wait, had, oh, 32 years? 34. 34 years? In my 34th year. Never yeah. took a sick day. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> So 
when I made captain in 2018, so 2019 was the first time I took two successive two successive weeks of vacation. Oh, okay. Um, what'd you what What'd you do for that? Went to Mexico. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> I've always lost. We we get again part of this job is you get a lot of accrual time, so you get sick vacation holiday. Um, the, is it use it or lose it? So in in the, in the vacation side, it's use it or lose it. So I've lost a lot of vacation over the day, but because I love what I do and I enjoy what I do. Uh, we got to thank our union uh, for getting a lot of benefits. So one, some of the benefits of being a police officer now, the union last year was able to get us four weeks of paid parental leave. Um, our paid holiday vacation time and sick leave is very good. Our comprehensive medical and dental and optical is, is probably the best in the country. I mean, you pay you know, $5 for prescriptions still. And wow. Most of your so wow. you're $15 a for a doctor visit, $25 for a specialist. It's unheard of. Um, you get a vested defined pension, tuition reimbursement. I was fortunate on the job to get both my, my undergraduate and my MBA while working as a police officer, and the department paid 25% of that. And, and the pay is pretty good. At the academy, you start out at almost $60,000 while you go to school for nine months. When you get out, six, you're six months in there, you, you go up to 65000 just about. And your first year on the street, you're at 70000 That doesn't include overtime. There's plenty of chances for overtime in year five. You're up to almost $87,000 wow. plus overtime. So it's a great opportunity, but I, I think the big sell here is, is, is in a big city policing, unlike in smaller departments, uh, you have opportunities. So you, you're eligible for promotions that are rank of corporal after one year, and you can become a detective. You're eligible for rank of detective after one year. So it's a great opportunity. And, again, if you're looking to help people, and, again, we want people to come into the service that have that empathy, as you talked about earlier, people who want to help people and feel there's an opportunity to have that passion every day to feel success. And, and the success is not locking people up and putting people in jail. Your success is to give people an opportunity to uh, be propped back up, right? Helping people lean. A lot of people struggle in life, and it's my job every day in my mind, and I would hope people that come into the service to help one person a day. And if you help one person a day, we can get ourselves out of this situation because it's a great opportunity to do this. A yeah. Amen. And, and also, um, there was a story as far as recruits. Um, there were, um, there's not a age restriction on, on recruitment. There were older recruits that just graduated, um, the academy. Um, older, like my age, <laughs> I'm not saving, I'm not doing it, not doing a tactic. <laughs> no, they were, they were like, uh, upper forties. Yeah. So, so yeah. the one guy was 55 and we yeah. had two people in our upper forties and, and again, the only age restriction is coming on. you got to be 20 years of age when you go into the academy, but you can come on at any age, and we welcome people from, again, we talked about earlier, we want people from all walks of life coming in because it gives us an opportunity to have more voice. And people that come in to serve, again, we're in a tough economy right now, right? 54% of Americans are living week to week. Uh, this is a good opportunity to have a steady job with steady benefits. A great um, credit union, too. And with the amount of jobs being lost today, I mean, people are losing jobs in tech industries. People are bored being teachers or being so doctors and nurses and people that want to change come here for five give us five years i mean give us five years and give us an opportunity to put more people on the street that can give us a better look at what we do give us better strategies and we can all work together to have a common goal of making society better how many people do you need to hire so we're looking at a deficit right now of around a thousand people and over these next five years because just because of the deferred retirement option plan the drop called the drop program we're losing another 907 officers from 2023 to 2028 so to keep up with that we got to hire about 250 more per year so we have a lot of vacancies and, and again it's, it's a good opportunity and we're looking for people to join go to join philly pd 
com and it'll it'll show you uh, what we have benefits wise what you what, what what you can get and you can apply on there right now we just closed our recruitment drive on yesterday and it'll open back up in may uh, but we want to bring people on board as quickly do you have as a possible. full do you have a full class so no we're, we're struggling with classes we're like every major city department we're only averaging between 30 and 40 people per class we and what, like, what would you normally so when i came through my class was 150 people and there was five classes up there. Wow. Wow. And so now how many classes are up, up there now? So right now we have one, and it only has 40 Man. people. Man. So we need help. Yeah. What's need the, help can you, you can live outside of the city. So no. the, the rules are you can live outside the city to apply to go through the academy. After a year and a half, you have to move into the city. But after five years, you can move back out of the city. So you can come from anywhere. But you have to move in the city. Hey, I'll be 66 in five years. <laughs> I'm still in great shape. Uh, I know people. <laughs> you know, a lot of people. Come on. It's, yeah. it's a good job. You'll have fun. And that's, you know, we say even though it's a great job, it's a noble job, and you help a lot of people. But, you know, the inside story in policing, we say it's the greatest show on earth, and you get paid. Because it's not like any job. I don't want to knock the lawyers, but sitting there every day reading papers and preparing beefs, and it's kind of boring to me. But... This job is very exciting where every day and every situation you're in um, is different. So you're never going to be bored, number one. Number two, you have an opportunity to help people. And, and I think that's the sell in this department now is, is having an opportunity to help people is what we're looking at and the diversity of what we do. I, I got to believe there are people listening right now who are saying, yeah, he's talking to me. And, um, really? and, yeah. and I, I'm going to go apply for that job because um, it's almost like, you know, not only are you a police officer, you're an ambassador for the city of Philadelphia um, for the to, to watch the city, you know, because I think we've hit the lowest point. I'm hoping we did. And you can watch the city go back to its vibrant nature that it's always had. So um, if you want to participate in that, this is definitely an opportunity that you shouldn't pass up. Um, let's talk to Garrett on line two. Eric. Oh, Garrett. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Um, thank you for your service, Captain Walker. You're welcome. Thank my you. My comment is to the, you know, thank you. My comment is to the citizens of Philadelphia. I was since 2020. We've been talking about moving um, responsibilities and duties from the police officers to others. When my graduating class came out earlier in March of the new enforcement security officers who supplement the police officers. I was appalled at the response of people on social media and it's a few of my neighbors. They're knocking the very idea that we have been pushing. That's number one. That's number one. And number two, I am appalled at how we treat the parking authority. They, they're doing their job. That's their job. You don't break the law. You're having a problem. So all the complaints that we make about the police officers, let, let's, give, let's give everyone our support. We need to get this thing together. Yeah. We need to get back on track. And those very things, that's, that's from the past. We taught our children to respect the police officers. Yes, there's bad in every single industry that you look at. I worked in healthcare. There are bad people in healthcare. But you've got to give them the support, and you've got to be willing to be open to new ideas, new ways of doing things. 
let's give these enforcement security officers our support. They barely hit the ground, and they're complaining already. Come on. Come on, Philadelphia. We're better than that. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Dean. Take care, dear. Have a great Saturday. 215-227-2727. If you've got a legal issue or question, give us a call. We'll get you on the air talking to Manny Manuel and solving your problems. <laughs> what is your relationship with the parking authority, the police department and the parking authority? What type of relationship you guys have? I have a great relationship with okay. them. And going back to my South Street days, the empowerment program, I started that on South Street, so I had a partner with the parking authority. And uh, over the holidays, the Thanksgiving holiday, you saw the parking authority officer who was brutally shot. I handled that case and brought that. So I work closely with them. And, again, there's, there's a perception of anything, as, as, as the young lady just said, is, you know, we – it's about respect, right? So life is about respect. And I think we lost that during COVID. I don't know what happened to this world, but respect has been lost. I mean, my mother taught me to open doors and say hi to people and be nice. You go, you know, you go to a red light, the stoplight now, and it turns green, and people are hitting a horn two seconds after. Yeah. You go in a while, no one holds doors. Everybody's rushing into people. There's no, mm. we, we've lost our level of respect as a whole in society, and we got to get that back. And, and I can't agree more than the last listener said is, you know, respect is a big thing, and, and, and you know, I'm about you know, the whole procedural justice model that Commissioner Outlaw brought here. And, you know, fairness, dignity, and respect is what it's all about. And we talked about earlier empathetic police officers. But What's... parents have to teach their kids how to be empathetic, too. These kids today, as Manuel talked earlier, the, the way they roam these streets and the way they treat people. Well, listen, it's, I, I, it's, I'm, it's, I've, it's I've said all along that, the you know, when you have a, a minor who commits crimes like, after, you know, 8 o'clock at night, 7 o'clock at night, when they should be home doing their homework and getting ready for bed, the parents have to play a part in that, you know, in, in, in the consequence part, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that, um, you know, you have to take, if you're going to have a child, you have to take responsibility for raising the child. And it, you know, it, it starts at home. It starts at home. And without that, um, you have kids running around and, and parents don't, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Cause you gotta have a home to come to. Well, that's what the support system is supposed to be. Yeah. Right? You gotta have a home. And it's the village. I mean, we talked earlier about the that's village, right? Has, the village yeah. is gone and, um, people don't want to take responsibility for their kids. And I agree with Dean is there at some point, uh, I know it's not going to be popular, but parents have to be held accountable the actions of their kids you you these surrogate like, you fathers know, that are out there that yeah i'm responsible for the actions of my dog yep. you know um uh, mm. Mm. well not yet we'll hold on to that <laughs> yeah let's let's unpack that later mm. <laughs> we'll be right back after this two-minute break I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. 
When we say winning matters most, we mean it. My Philly lawyer just helped secure an $80 million victory for a client suffering from a defective medical product. Whether it's a motor vehicle, workplace, or medical malpractice injury, My Philly lawyer gets results. If you've been injured and want aggressive, thoughtful, thorough representation, call My Philly lawyer first. Philly's legal champions. 215-227-2727. My Philly lawyer. When winning matters most. I grew up here, went to school here, raised my kids here. I know Philly, and Philly knows me. I started My Philly Lawyer because if you've been injured, your lawyer matters, and choosing someone local matters. It matters to the insurance company, it matters to the jury, and most importantly, your lawyer matters when it comes to getting results. If you've been injured, call us now, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. Need more legal answers? Here's more Court Radio with your host, Dean Weitzman. Good morning and welcome back. I'm Dean Weitzman, your host of Court Radio every Saturday morning. We're joined in the studio today with Captain John Walker, who's responsible single-handedly for recruiting the next 2,000 police officers that the city needs as quickly as possible. And joinphillypd.com? Joinphillypd.com. Dot com. Yeah, joinphillypd.com will bring you to a website that will kind of open your eyes to the possibilities. Um, Captain Walker, you've got a big job ahead of you. Um, the new mayoral administration is going to start. Um, you know, might we see a new police commissioner? Does that happen politically? You know, when, when the new mayor comes, does he usually clean house and put his people in? Or her or people. She. I, or she. I was right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Don't you go there, girl. Don't you go there. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> Not sure what's going to go on with the next administration. Obviously, uh, the commissioner serves at the will of the mayor. We know when Commissioner Ramsey uh, finished out with Mayor Nutter that he chose to leave. Uh, he wasn't retained. So you never know what the next mayor is going to be, whether it be a she or he. Uh, but we're just looking forward to... Um, would you ever consider that job? Because I've heard on, behind closed doors, it's your name's been bandied <laughs> about quite a bit. Again, at this point in my career, again, that I'm humbled by that. And, again, you never want to jinx yourself. Um, I'm, again, 34 years into my career, and I love what I do, and I love the city, and I want to see change and betterment of this department. And, again, I'm, I'm honored that people think that about me. And, um, 
We'll see what happens. Is there any enticement to join? You know, aren't some cities doing like a bounty of, you know, a bonus? A signing oh, bonus. Yeah. Signing yeah, bonus. So we're giving a $2,000 signing bonus if you join the Philadelphia Police Department. Um, so it's a good opportunity to, to come in and get $2,000 to help you early on. But, again, $60,000 a year to go into academy to learn I think is a good salary. And with the benefits starting day one that are world class, uh, you get an opportunity to – a lot of your health stuff taken care of, whether it's teeth or eyes or things you were avoiding before because you didn't have the health benefits. And mm. so it's a good opportunity to, to get some things done for you. Joinphillypd.com. Joinphillypd.com opens your eyes to the possibilities of wearing a uniform. A uniform. I'm just thinking Officer Weitzman. Yes. <laughs> Detective Weitzman. Detective. Yeah, maybe. Detective Weitzman. Uh, you know, we don't need a lawyer um, in the investigator bureau. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what happened um, when I was a uh, w- working my way through college. Right, uh-huh. I'm at Temple. Right. I'm a full time student uh, taking 32 credits a year, and um, I had um, a, f- uh, a 40, 50 hour a week job working at a group home for wow. mentally uh, retarded. Back then, I guess it's no longer politically Challenged. correct. Challenged. Yes mentally challenged adults mm-hmm. who lived in the community so they when penhurst closed the supreme court decision to close penhurst had ramifications that kind of you know bubbled out yep. in the community and so we were in an apartment in ben salem um and i had two people that i was responsible for um and i had a staff of a uh, three or four other people and i worked in that in in, in that industry for four and a half years all the way through college and I got burned out Mm. I got burned out Um, I was making fourteen thousand dollars a year (laughs) what year was this My first ten. Yeah. No, nineteen seven eighty. Yeah. Yeah. Nineteen eighty. Wow. Fourteen grand a year and when I left there I was making seventeen and burned um, out. I was burned out. You know it was very rewarding. But it's not easy to do what he does. Okay? And, yeah, yeah. I mean, and for 34 years, and I, you, yeah. you don't take a day off. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> he's not, you know, it, it, if the world were fair, probably cops should be making like 160000 a year. Uh, and, and maybe with overtime, some of them do. Well, again, it's not about the money. And again, my thing is it's the passion to do and helping people as to why I wanted people to join this job. And it's about hiring the right people, the right attitudes to change and help this profession shape itself going into the, in this 21st century. And uh, the money, yeah, it's part, we all need that basic Maslow, the, the physiological and the, and the needs and the belongingness. But we really have to join this job for the service of it and the understanding of that. And, the, again, the money is good. See, if you, if you ever wondered... Captain Walker is a degreed man, you know. I've heard. He's yeah. talked, you know, he's got the Maslow, uh, you know, theory of <laughs> psychology down pat. And he's, no, he's been through a couple classes. Pretty, uh, yeah. yeah the CLA classes we go to. <laughs> <laughs> pretty yeah. cerebral uh, police officer here. Pretty cerebral captain we're sitting next to here. Yeah. Well, folks, um, Captain Walker's here because... He wants to see see things change in the city of Philadelphia. He he recognizes what we all see, and that is a city that is got a uptick in crime and lawlessness um, amongst uh, all sorts of folks. 
but not just the traditional drugs and, you know, corner workers. This is, uh, you know, kid, 13 and 14 year olds wearing ninja suits and, mm. you know, running around and causing havoc and then causing the city to have blight. And, and then people don't want to come to the city, and then the city dies. So we're all in this together. we got a new administration who's starting. we got Captain Walker, who's got some great police ideas. And if you need uh, a job and you want a profession, um, go to joinphillypd.com right now. Folks, we're just about out of time. Captain Walker, thank you so much for everything you brought to the table today. Appreciate you it was a good conversation. Thank you, Dean, and thank you, Manuel, for inviting me, and uh, appreciate the time. All right, folks, we'll see you next uh, Saturday, same time, same place.